This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. We are back. Welcome to Pop Culture Confidential and welcome to friend of the show, the awesome Ryan McQuaid of Awards Watch and In Session Film. Thank you so much for coming back. Oh my God. Thank you for inviting me back. Let's, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm genuinely excited about this because it's, it's almost like a, a part two, a continuation. We, exactly. we left everybody off in suspense and now we're back to do this. It's, it's great. Yeah, so here's the deal. Um, As you were saying, a while ago, ahead of the release of Spielberg's autobiographical film, The Fablemans, we went through his most personal films and how he seemingly processes his parents' divorce throughout his film career. For example, we talked about at the beginning of his career with films like Close Encounters and E.T. He depicted a lot of single moms and lonely kids. And later on, relationships with dads, difficult relationships and reconnecting like for War of the Worlds and Catch Me If You Can, even Lincoln we talked about. Take a listen to that show. That was episode 304. Now the 75-year-old filmmaker is capping a 50-year career with his most personal film yet about his parents and his childhood and teenage years, and that's The Fablemans. And this lovely thing happened that several of you listeners, you asked, well, what did you and Ryan think of this movie? And now that we've both seen it, um, I'm so happy that Ryan wanted to come back. And that's what we're going to talk about, what we thought of The Fablemans. Ryan? What did you think? <laughs> <laughs> we'll um, so I think always context matters of how you see a film. So I saw the Fablements at the AFI premiere in Los Angeles and Steven Spielberg and Michelle Williams and Paul Dano and Gabriel DeBell and Judd Hirsch and Seth Rogen and Spielberg's sisters were there to introduce the film. It was a very, a glamorous night, as you can imagine, because it's a it's a not just an AFI film. It's a, you know premiere. It is a it is a Steven Spielberg premiere for anything. So it's it's big and it's it's um, um, very very much like you feel when you when you see the the old Hollywood films and you think of like oh how a premiere should be. It's kind of like how it is, especially for him. And he's such a big part of AFI that it was. It was it was very much like a homecoming, you know. It's it's very you know because he's one of the greatest directors of all time, and and we've we examined that thoroughly. And I have to give a shout out to you because of the fact that when we did that episode, it brought up so many things in my head about Steven Spielberg, about his life, about what this movie could be. And it's one of my favorite conversations, period. And I shared it with everyone I could because I oh, said this this is too, how so thank you. Th- this is how you talk about someone because it was very much through positivity and it was very much through the uh, admiration and respect and trying to understand an artist, an artist that for most people think it's just dinosaurs and, and E.T. It's kind of just like. You think of the spectacle, you don't think of the emotionality. So it was very good to like dive into Spielberg's emotionality. And then I sat there and I watched the film. 
and I I was tackling with it a lot. I was trying to figure it out because I think the I watched it wrong the first time. I was trying to look at it the way we looked at it through the podcast. I was trying to look at it through Spielberg's perspective and the the real history around it, and then you know and and everything. And I think you get caught up in premieres and you get caught up at places. And I was trying to kind of sit there and, you know, wrestle with it. And I really liked it. I didn't love it, but I really liked it. And then in two weeks later happened. And I was lucky enough to get invited to a, a press a screening out here in San Antonio. And I was, uh, I took my dad who, um, you know, I, I take to some screenings every now and then, usually for movies that he's really interested in. And this was one. And I sat there with a man right before um, the movie began. And he was kind of looking around and he was he was examining the room and seeing all the people walk in. And we were obviously because we're press, so you get the first couple rows or whatever, and they're blocked off, reserved and and all this stuff, and he just kind of sat there still as this is like his whatever hundredth thing he's done doing these things, and he's just like, this is kind of wild that this has happened. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? And I'm just sitting there. I'm on my phone. I think I'm texting, you know, my editor, Eric Anderson, or something like that. And he, he looks at me, and he says, hey, I, I just want to let you know that I'm proud of you. And that, and that, and that, I never wanted you to be me. I always wanted you to be yourself. And I wanted you to do the things that make you happy. And it looks like you're finally doing that. And I know that you could take anybody to these things and you're taking me to this and you take others to other things and it and you're doing so much and i just want to let you know i'm proud of you and so then the movie started and uh i was a mess because i did what i think you're all supposed to do i then reflected sammy fableman's life on our own life our own obsessions our own dreams, our own admiration for cinema, especially me. I mean, I've always wanted to do something with movies. It's, it's, it's the itch of, you know, when I was a kid and seeing the first, like singing, singing in the rain and thinking, how did they get away with that? Because, you can get away with it probably now. You can't get rid of, away with it back then. It's impossible. And it makes the impossible possible. That's what movies do. They make the things that turn from dreams into reality. And it starts with an image you see on a screen, probably as a little kid. And you have to figure out how to express that. And that's literally the first 20 minutes of this movie. And then you have so many scenes where it's talking about the relationship between your art and your family, the sacrifices you have to make, the personal sacrifices 
uh, putting it away to maybe never pick it up again. The damage it could do. The, the, the joy it can bring. And I think that it is easily now a top 10 Steven Spielberg film. One that I will watch extensively throughout the years. I think it's one of the best films of the year, period. And I just think it's one of the most emotionally cathartic films I've had in a long time. I weeped. I don't do that a lot in movies, but I did with this one. And it carried over to the car and the entire ride home. Because this is by far one of the most sincere things I've ever seen. And it's, I, 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 I love it. I love it. It means so much to me. That's wonderful. I, my context was less glamorous. I was in an, I'm sorry. Empty <laughs> New York um, theater in on Thanksgiving weekend, but I was with my son and I wept also. <laughs> I'm completely blown away. This is not just the power of cinema memoir. He, this is not only through the eyes of a child. This is through the eyes of a man who's gone through these relationships and with his parents that we talked about, um, how he first was very upset at his dad and at age 30, he, he understood him more. This is a movie where he's coming to it having understood them. And both his parents are so equally well-defined. He, he, it's not a classic divorce, movie divorce, where that mm -hmm. Spielberg was doing before, where one partner is really terrible and one partner is not. Um, I thought he balanced that line so interestingly. And for me... The mother character who is fascinating and for a child, fascinating and exciting. And we understand that there's some mental issues there. <laughs> we understand that she's going, she's living a life of a housewife in an age where she can, she's a concert pianist, but she cannot choose art. We understand all these things and she makes us uncomfortable sometimes, but she's also fascinating and exciting. And if you've been close to um, mental health issues like this, I thought it was just beautifully rendered because she also doesn't feel unfit in any way. She also feels like you really understand that he did get his art from her. He did get his uh, right brain from his father. And also a, an a picture of a man who's really manipulative he knew from the beginning that what he can do with that camera he can show the side of his parents that he wants to show when he wants to show it he can take that camera and make his bully the hero of the entire school and what that means for his image and what that means and how he can change that all these ideas he can have he can make an audience laugh he can make them cry and as we talked about, you know, Spielberg's parents' divorce have impacted an entire generation of us movie lovers. So I was very, very taken. I mean, everything you said is absolutely correct. And even then some. He paints a portrait of these two people, you know, that I think it's, you know, you have Bert, who is 
it would have been very easy based off of what we said with our conversation if he placed the foot of the blame of this family's problem at Bert Faberman's feet because a, a younger filmmaker, a younger Spielberg would have done so. He would have blamed everything that happened in that film, much to the to the way that the girls in the film sort of do that. You know, when they announce their their divorce, it's interesting because on the second go around, you you hear the girls, his his sisters, um, Sammy's sisters. One says that it's that it's Bert Fableman's fault because we've been moving and you've been working and da 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 da, and then another one blames Mitzi. Michelle Williams, she blames her for for her for her indiscretions and um, and the fact that um, you know her her affair with with Benny, played by Seth Rogen, and it has to me one of the shots and scenes of the year. Well, as this family is crumbling, the. What is the way that Sammy can process it? You can see it through a mirror of him filming this tragedy, and it haunts him. He's seeing it through it his camera and absolutely story. <laughs> kills him. And for him to finally realize at that moment that 110%, this is the only way he can deal with emotion this is this is his this is his avenue to do it with and you're right there's the stuff with the bullies there's you know the the pure joy that he has with his home movies when he's a kid there's the 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 stuff with the scouts there's all these different things the way he's uh with the gunshots and how he comes up with that the editing which this movie is a editing machine literally it is a it is I think we'll go down as one of the best films about what it feels like to edit a movie. Love letter to editors. <laughs> it's it really is because he's sitting there, you know, with this camping trip after his mother's after his grandmother's passed away. And he's trying to do this to help his mom, who he's very much like. He's very connected to her, just like Spielberg was to his mother. He's very connected, but through everything and the audience ourselves, we know what is coming. We know what has been teased and kind of put out there and everything based off of just what you know. But even if you don't know, the breadcrumbs are already there enough. And but to see it is another thing to imagine it. Because sometimes when you imagine things, you kind of put it off or you're not seeing it through a lens, but to see it. The way Sammy sees it while he's editing and he slows it down so he understands it. And that pure terror when he jumps away from his editing machine is incredible. That scene is another masterful scene because you have him editing this thing. You have the camera swirling around that typical Spielberg swirl of the camera in 360 around this bedroom, around his bedroom in this moment. And meanwhile, you have this beautiful score that's being layered on by John Williams, which is being mimicked by uh, Michelle Williams. And then you see Bert on the on the coffee table going through his work. So you have this art and science, 
going at it there, you know, in the layered backgrounds of what is then in this inspiration and then this ultimate unraveling and betrayal. And it is so realized. You're you're right. It is it's a master unraveling all this. And it's it's how often I, do you see a story that you understand that every family member loves Benny, the one who's having an affair with the mother, mm-hmm. at least in with some time, understands what happened with these triangle love story that becomes and, and why the father loved them, why the kids love them, why everything. And, and that to me was all just beautifully rendered of how, you know, human relationships are very complicated. It's not the Bert, I mean, the, you stand in for Spielberg's father who ruined everything. It's not her who ruined everything. It's it's life, you know, can take these turns and, and have different paths for different people. And that scene you're describing really is Spielberg's first time that he's putting all this into context and you're seeing every element, both filmic and personally, of what's happening to his family and what he, when he, the moment he realizes it. I mean, yeah. I, I just feel like Coppola, now you do you. When was the moment you realized it? <laughs> <laughs> because you don't get that. Marty, get the, the family uh, films out again, right? You know, it's it, it that's the thing to me is what you're describing was a I thought of a fault at first and actually I think it's it's a celebration of the fact that he doesn't put the foot of the blame at anyone's shoulders and people were initially I was reading going oh that means he's he's taking it easy on them no it's more either (laughs) it's more complicated than that it's like we distinctive, distinctively as as a human race have to find blame in everything. There's always got to be blame, especially when it is a divorce. And because, you know, it's it's no different than like if you have friends that are divorced and they ask you to pick a side because you can only be friends with one. You hear that argument all the all the all the all the all the time. And I sit there and I go, in this case. No one is at fault here. You have a woman who is fully realized. She is bottling regret that she was not able to chase her dreams. You have repressed love that she does not feel because her her husband's passion for his work far supersedes the passion sometimes for her. She does really love him too. Yeah, no, she does. She calls him, I love your genius brain. I just don't always understand. They both really respect and love each other. They, they do. But she, but, and, but the thing is, is that she has another need. She has another need, a need that, that she describes. And, and, when there, I think there's that other scene too where she gets out of the car after Bert says something really mean about Benny, you know, about, and he knows exactly what he's doing in that moment, saying that because the, you know, he's as much hurt by all this as, as anybody else too, because he thinks that he's doing essentially the right thing by working hard and trying to get the, the house because he's got a, you know, he's got a family of four and, 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 you know, four kids and a wife. And so he's got to keep going and going in his, in his, career is his inspiration it's his it's his movies you know what i mean it's his piano 
And she says to Sammy when he chases after Mitzi um, on their car ride to California, he said, you know, Bert Fableman is the most kind, decent man. And I'd be a fool to not stay married to him. But sometimes it, you know, you can say that to yourself, but that's not the best thing for you. And she's dealing, yes, with not just, I think people just want to assume it's it's just mental illness that she's dealing with. She's dealing with a broken heart, a broken spirit, a broken passion, the loss of her mother, bottled up emotions that she's never had to face before in her life because everything's been very easy. Everything's been very easy. Yes, she's lost a lot, but she's also had so many joys, which are her children. And there's those scenes at the end of the film, too, where she's essentially begging Sammy for for you know forgiveness because the only thing that she really has left as a passion is her children and the same thing kind of happens with Bert too these are two wildly complicated characters that are also beautifully portrayed by Paul Dano and Michelle Williams i think that anyone that says that her performance is oh, we're going to get to that wild <laughs> and over the top and all that stuff they don't understand but also I, I, I want I want to ask you something because usually you're always asking me all the wonderful things. I've seen this argument by people online, and I think that it is a wild argument to kind of downgrade this movie because I think people are always trying to downgrade movies instead of actually just looking at the positives and what they liked about it. They always got to go to the negative. The argument that if this was Steven Spielberg, if this wasn't Steven Spielberg, if this was some other director doing this exact same film, no one would care. I, I'm curious what you think of that because I think that that is such a bad argument because of the fact that one, it is him, and two, nobody could make this movie because it's so, it's 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 something that has been 40 years almost in the making, and the, no, like we talked about it, right? It's the whole context. I mean, that's what I was sort of beginning with their past. I mean, he already blamed his father. For Mm -hmm. decades, he blamed his father. He showed the blame in movies. And then he sort of blamed himself. And he showed everything that happened there. He's been through this and through this. And then to put that only he, to answer your question in a long way, only he can do that since this is his journey. Um, And that's why I think that's a, I don't even know why you have to discuss it in that way. And also, we cannot forget how much, for many, many of us, he's been part of our entire generation's way of seeing storytelling. No, I, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's from the standpoint of, like, this is a man that's bared his soul, as we examined last time, for, what is it, like 40 years, you know, going on 50, um, and it's wild because it's like, I don't think you guys understand that. Like he's been leading to this, his entire career. And it's because people don't take those movies. I mean, it's not they don't take... culture with dinosaurs and ETs and things like that until he gets to no, the I agree. part of his career. But, but one thing that's so elegant with this movie, he's not like doing tons of things from his, his own movies very subtle like the the light coming through the closet as he looks exactly like et or close encounters Mm -hmm. a little thing a little way he moves the camera will remind us of one of his older movies no he's he's not very elegant (laughs) no i i I mean 
I'm sure somebody is going to watch this movie like a hundred times and try to find all the, the Easter eggs, but yeah, no, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're there if you want that. And I, for me, I don't actually care about that. That's not, that's not what drives this movie for me. It's, it is the fact that this is a, it's a personal film. Personal films are going to be to the, to the lean to the creator. Nobody said this when Alfonso Caron had Roma. No one said this last year with Belfast. No one says that at all. So it's it's a it's a bad faith argument because and you're trying it almost feels like you're trying to pick on this man who has, like you said, been there for us our entire lives. He's made us dream. And now he's asking us, okay, our own parents' divorces. Yeah, I don't (laughs) I don't want you to dream anymore. I want you to. I want you to experience this catharsis the way I've had to for this movie. And I'm not blame. And I think it's okay. Yeah. Like, I think that that's, I think to, for him to ask that of an audience in this age to think about their family and what's going on in the world and their passions and how they're affected by that and how the fact that this movie ends with one of the greatest endings i've seen in the 21st century of the fact that like it leaves you with wanting to run to write this review run to pick up a camera run to follow your dream and run to your family and have massive empathy for them i don't i don't know what else you want it's a very it's a very smart movie it's a, and it's not manipulative in any way. We're, we're going to spoil that ending. I mean, I'm, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you've, you've seen, um, the Fablemans. seen the Fablemans. But first, let's talk about Michelle Williams' performance, because that uh. has seemed to have been dividing and and um, and I will conquer. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> it's one of the absolute best of the year. I think she magnetically portrays this woman. If you've seen any interviews with Leah, Spielberg's real mother, I don't think that she did go over the top. I think this was Spielberg was asking her to do. I think this artistic streak in her is exactly the way she was. That is a childhood memory. And just her eyes when she's watching his films, the first one in the closet, you just see the pride. I mean, that it was incredible. You see the pride there. And then when he shows her the video of the splice stuff with her and Benny, the horror. It's the it's the the very much a the 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 have and the have nots there. Yes. Right? Yes, of how how that closet mirror can in that closet. and so many so closets many, in Spielberg's oh. films where so many things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> and and essentially this is like the the passion and the passionless taken away from it. Why does he put down the camera? It's because of his mom, but who gave him the camera? It was his mom like this. There's so much there. And yes, Michelle Williams is extraordinary in this movie. She really is like, I think that like, it's really bad faith arguments to say too, that, that she's wild and over the top. Like there's, there's, you know, there's a little bit of mania in it, but not to the extent of like, it's hammy and it's it's this and this and that. No, it's it's a complicated role. It's a complicated person 
it's somebody that's dealing with a lot of things and she's trying to process it in a time in which we didn't have the answers to process those things too. And you have to think about that. Like modern audiences are so, because we have the answers for things like this is different than something like the sun, which tackles mental illness and, and, and everything that goes with that in a modern context, that movie is set today. That movie's not set way, 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 way back then. On how the sun tackles oh, mental I, illness. Don't, I, no, <laughs> I'm not a, def- but- I'm not a defender of that movie, but I will say is that like people have their rights to go after that, but this one there's it's, it's complicated. And it's also, it is, it's semi-autobiographical. It's not 100% biographical, but also if you know, like you said, if you know anything about her, this is a, a, this might be a tamer version than what might actually have happened. And this is where I think Tony Kushner gives her the grace, shows her a lot of elegance, shows the complicated flaws that go alongside Spielberg. Like he's writing this, but also Tony Kushner is doing this through stories that he's told through uh, the stories that his sisters have told as well. And he's trying to find a person here that is, is clinging for something to hang on to. And ultimately it's her, her children and especially Sammy and, you know, her monologue at the end where he's just like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if any of this that I've done is correct. I don't know if I've basically screwed you up. But I know that you're going to go do big and great things. You're going to do the things that I was never able to do. And I just need, and all she needs from him, she doesn't need him to credit him. She doesn't need him to to make this movie about him or anything. What does she ask for? She asks for forgiveness from a moment in which they both were at their worst. Mm -hmm. And it's so heartbreaking to see that because it's a mom just asking her child for forgiveness Rather than actually just wanting the same kind of success for herself and to coattail off of it, it's 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 beautiful. It's beautiful, and she's beautiful in this movie too. And uh, I mean, there's 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 that scene at the campfire. What's a, what's a way for her to process her happiness, her emotion in this moment? Art. What's the way then that Sammy can capture it to then hopefully save her from the loss of her mother art. It's and then, I mean, it, it's, it's so beautiful. She's great in this movie. I don't get it. I don't get why people hate it. This, I was really struck for me, at least really has honored this woman by making this portrait, which I'm sure is not identical. But as I was saying, he balances the line so elegantly between what some could be seen as course as mental illness or a very pressured situation. But also, as he said through the years that she was Peter Pan, she didn't want to grow up and, and that this is part of his genius that Mm. what she gave him in these moments and even in the moments where she is you know on the teetering on the edge of mania you you never feel wow uh oh uh oh stop her i mean just in the minute you feel that he reigns it in and you and you just feel that she's a wonderful mother at least Mm -hmm. i did no she is want to get in the car and drive to the towards the tornado Tornado? yeah (laughs) 
Um, no, I thought she was incredible. I really thought this was one of the most nuanced and textured and really difficult performances I've seen. And for me, it was not at all um, over the top. But let's talk about Judd Hirsch. He's pretty over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, like a, a, like a scene, another, man, I keep saying this, but it's like another scene of the year candidate where you're just having this honesty. It's just the honest truth. It's, it's, that's where I felt Tony Kushner the most was that scene. I felt that, you know, you have this person that's just tamed the lions, gone in the lion's cage, essentially, you know, and I had to show Sammy that, like, why it was important enough to, to do that camping trip thing rather than, like, you're going to make your big war pitcher. That's what you want to do because. That's what matters to you in a sense is what he says. And, but this camping trip, it's not for you because it's about your family. So you don't care about your family. You care about what makes you happy. So you care about art more than you care about your family and it's going to tear you apart. And it almost is, you know, on the surface level, it's him saying, yeah, the art's going to tear you apart and you have to choose it's actually really the opposite. He's telling him in that whole scene, you don't have to choose, but you're going to learn the hard way that lesson. Mm -hmm. You're going to think that's just the way that I have to choose, that that's the way it is. But you don't have to. Your mom chose the family. I chose my art. But you could be the next person that chooses both. And I love when he what does he pinch him, slap him or something like that? And he says, I want you to feel that pain because anytime somebody tells you, you can't do that, you're going to think of your uncle Boris. You're going to think of this moment and this pain that you're feeling right there. And it's going to eat you alive. It's going to be inside your stomach and in your psyche. Every time somebody says no. And this is before he has something that it, it tears the fabric of this family apart. And He's feeling that pain and he doesn't know how to process it. And he finds a way through his art. He finds inspiration through wild circumstances. He processes it in a way that only he can. It's a form of grief. It's a form of trauma. It's, it's, it's so many different things, but that scene is so important. And Hirsch is electric. It is a five to 10 minute monologue scene set piece where he's in. It's and it's it's just like wow how how can you come in steal the show and then just like leave and 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 leave your kind of like jaw on the floor with yes saying everything you need to hear but also doing it in a way that feels as complicated as the rest of the screenplay is there's more than just the surface level here and I think it's I think he's great before we do go move on to the ending I just want to take a minute or two to talk about the teenage years when they move to Northern California. And that's really sort of when the family not doing great. It's also where he starts experiencing anti-Semitism, which of course we also talked about last time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes and luckily that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato and I'm the creator of seven minute stories. I'm proud to partner with evergreen podcasts and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world. 
all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Um, mm-hmm. Which also he starts processing as a filmmaker much later in life. How did these these sort of teenage years and when you move away from the parents and start seeing him interact with girlfriends and, um, and bullies? I think that we aren't talking enough about how Gabriel LaBelle's performance is in this movie. I think that it's very easy, usually a lot in these movies where like the young performance is the weak link and the supporting or the 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 parent parental um roles in the movie are vastly uh carrying the load. But Spielberg is the king of child performances, right? Even when and they're playing him. <laughs> even when they're playing him, damn it. And I think Gabriel LaBelle is is, is as captivating of a young performance as we've seen from not just Spielberg, but from any film in the last many years, he's like up there with me with like Woody Norman last year and come on, come on. It's just like this. How are you able to, to kind of just carry an audience at times on your back through your facial expressions, emotion, the way you, uh, his, his command uh, is very Spielberg and very, and, and, and gets that really down to a T. And so I think when he gets to like these, these real tough times in his life, even tougher than just like what's going on at home. And he's having to face this constant barrage of bullying, anti-Semitism mixed within the, um, the relationship with the girl who is the polar opposite of his religion. And and which is, which is, which is great. There's a lot of great levity that goes with that. Um, and trying to to find his passion again for movies, I think of like the beach scene as just like it's like Sammy finally getting to open back up again after being closed off for such a long time, but also taking command in the in the dinner scene before of that family, the family that is very much on a rocky, shaky ground, and he stands up and says, "Okay, I'll take the monkey <laughs> to the yes. to get his shots. Can I have the camera?" I'm doing ditch day. Everybody shut up and eat your food essentially. And really taking firm control of, of the family dynamic from there on out. I think that um, those scenes at the end with the bully, especially down the the hall uh, of prom are really, really fascinating. Like you said earlier, it's about Spielberg being able to, in moments of joy and moments of spectacle and moments of this big fun thing, actually deeply under the layers, exploring emotions that we ourselves can't or have not ever fully explored them ourselves. That's supposed to be a triumphant moment for that kid, mm-hmm. right? Cause he's like, I'm the track star. I am the jock. I got the muscles. I got the girl, you know, like I'm I'm a prom king, like I'm a guy, you know what I mean? Like I'm the man, like this is supposed to be the height of that. And Sammy makes him feel as if internally he's the lowest he could feel at that moment. Like he gets the girl and everything. And that's supposed to be the end of the picture, right? And it's like, no, because why are you doing this to me? I treated you like garbage. I got to know. And it's those questions that we as audiences have asked ourselves as to why this man has has it's twisted the knobs of our heartstrings for a generation. 
And he's exploring that and saying, I don't know. You know, I, I just thought it would make for a better movie. And the camera showed what it showed. And it's for you to decide then at that point, how you feel, how you feel and about then, it and how that makes you feel and what that makes you think about. Yeah. And I mean, then there's the, I think what's to me, the point of that scene is when the jock tries to hand him uh, the marijuana and he says, this is a, uh, you know, it'll make the, what is it? It's essentially like the control of this moment and make you feel like you can, you know, that you can control it that you can control everything. He's like, I, and he's like, I have no control. Like my life is a mess. And so I think that that will just make it even worse. And I can't. And, but essentially what he's saying there is my drugs, the movie I just played. Exactly. Cause that's what I can control. Control. In that movie he makes with the ditch day and what he does, what he realizes with this conversation with this jock who, who you know, he's made feel this way is that all that, all that manipulation, what he can do with the camera, how he can storytell everything we've seen in the beginning of the movie, everything that happened with his parents and that he saw through the camera is right there. Um, no, it's, it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And then we have that last scene, which I think both of you are going to, I are going to cry talking about it. It's not quite clear, but his, the, the girls have gone to live <clears throat> with Mitzi, his mother and the father, and he's gone to school and he comes by his father's place. Um, I think they're says, essentially living together. I think while he's in college, it looks like, you know, like his. Could be something like that. Yeah. I got the feeling that, but then he says, I don't want to go to college anymore. And he starts, there's a letter for him that he's actually gotten a job, which we know in real life he did. He started early directing, doing phenomenal work at like 20 something directing TV. (laughs) And he goes to the studio and he's going to meet John Ford. Huge Mm. moment. John Ford, who we've seen earlier and has inspired these Western movies that he makes. And who is it that, is playing John Ford. <laughs> it's the one and only David Lynch. And yes, that David Lynch. That the David. one that, that the, the, if you could believe it, kind of, you know, it's Friday again, that kind of David Lynch, like Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, David Lynch. And don't you feel that David Lynch understands exactly what Spielberg is doing with this movie? David Lynch uh, holds many uh, multitudes of emotion. Uh, the man is, uh, I think, one of cinema's great figures in enigmas to this day. And um, far be it for me to try to explain David Lynch in a short amount of time to the listeners. That's that's a podcast series I've done at Ed Session Film where we, we went down his entire filmography. But what's always interesting about David Lynch was the fact that his movies have these simplistic sort of like you know old timey sort of vibes like like a blue velvet or oh, or, all, or twin peaks so or there. there's so much heart in there but there's a lot of emotion and there's a lot of things he's saying and you got to tackle it and i think also too he is a massive fan of cinema yes and he's a massive fan of old cinema especially even like i think one of his favorite films is the searchers if i'm not mistaken too so i think he empathizes and relates with spielberg i think he 
I think this kind of shows David Lynch that he does really appreciate his contemporaries also as well. Also think Steven Spielberg knows too uh, of how to be uh, say multitudes with what he's saying. So he's essentially saying that John Ford is the greatest filmmaker, but could you also say that Steven Spielberg is also saying that David Lynch by casting him is the greatest filmmaker of all time. Like I would feel the same way if I met either one of them, to be honest with you. Um, But I think it's, and I think that that is an actual like thing that happened to Spielberg, uh, essentially with John Ford, is that he met him and 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 it is, it is. and 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 that it was that was pretty much what Ford said to him and and many others, because um, he was a very intense uh, figure, John Ford at that time. Um, but it's it's hilarious, but then like the way that Sammy kind of like comes out of that with this euphoric like feeling and then the the camera is what is it it's essentially it is framed up and then it and then it quit and he puts it down because either way it's interesting you know and uh and it's it'll be interesting going back into spielberg's films if you if there are horizons and seeing <laughs> seeing if they're in the middle or not. Analyze but what i've heard <laughs> is this could be wrong but someone told me that for that scene for that movement of the horizon the last last shot spielberg took the mm-hmm. camera himself and, and yeah. held it to film that that makes so much sense yeah. like this is like i i hate talking about awards so much all the time but like this is like a movie where you see a moment like that or you hear a story like that and you go yeah how's he not winning best director like it's kind of hard to you know it's 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 him 100 in it and it's i love the, the once again it's another 360 pan around the room shot and it's all the the posters of of John Ford and the cinema and the various genres and everything that he's done and and how your perspective of it changes once you see the full story yes. and the, you see the full room of everything because when you first walk in you're like oh it's just an office and then it's like no it's John Ford and it's another euphoric opening of his mind this is a more positive as opposed to when he was editing the film it's very much a, a you know um, shot in the same similar way so um it's there the another connective tissue from one scene in earlier in the film to the last and i also uh, love how the last scene when he's as you were saying euphoric he's walking in a very plain studio lot which is mm-hmm. like where the magic doesn't happen until all those people like Spielberg start moving their stuff in there. But this is where this horizon shot, which is the 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 big vision of movie making, that's where he does this last thing in this very mm-hmm. plain studio lot. But if you just move the horizon a little bit, that's where the magic will happen. I thought that yeah. was genius. I thought it was too. I was I was it it's you know, I've told a couple people this, and I know this movie is already what, like two uh, two hours and forty minutes or whatever. I sat there when he when he moved that camera and he had that final shot. I sat there and I went, "Okay, what do we have? Another hour of this movie? Like, let's keep it going. Like, it it <laughs> would no, it it was it would because I've complained about Spielberg's endings of recent being too sappy or or not knowing when to cut or things of that nature. This was the first time in a long time I'm like. No, I think you can keep going. It's fine, Steven. You're you're you 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 are in complete control. Keep it up. I mean, like I would have just eaten up another 30 minutes to an hour of this movie just because it's so 
it's so personal and layered that it you you're kind of hard to want to let it go, you know. But I think that that's what's just going to make it great on on rewatches and everything. I mean, that's the best thing about Spielberg's own movies and or his his movies and this movie about himself is the fact that he can both be personal and make us feel like we're thinking about personal things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I think we can say that both Ryan and I really like this movie to answer your question. We've been, uh, uh, that always makes me so happy because I really wanted to love this movie too. And with those type of expectations going in, you never know. So Ryan, thank you so much. This was like a little journey for us as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It, it. I mean, we didn't even get to dive into Dano as much as uh, you know, I mean. There's so many other things that you mm. could do with this this, this movie. It's it holds um, uh, it holds uh, so many. I think keys to to all of us and our heartstrings and what we love about cinema. So I would just say go see it. I know it's not like. Uh, making a ton of money right now at the box office or whatever. But if you love movies, if you love cinema, and if you really love what I think essentially, if you ask anybody on the street who their favorite director is or who is the most known director, it would be Steven Spielberg. If you love this man and what he's done for you, please go see it. It's 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 the most personal thing I think he's ever made, and I think he ever will. And um, it's I'm gonna say it. I hate saying this word, but I'm going to say it's a masterpiece and you really, and you really should be able to just go out there and see it and support, um, support a man that loves to make you dream. The Ryan, where can people find you? Well, you can find, um, my work over at awardswatch.com. I've got a ton of interviews, uh, that have been going up recently and more to come, uh, over at awardswatch.com. We also have the awards watch podcast over there. We do, uh, various topics from the week and games and listener questions. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, a lot of fun with the staff over there and with Eric, which everybody knows Eric, uh, from listening to this show and, uh, working with him is an absolute blast. You can also see my stuff over at in session film, the playlist, the film speak. I'm on Twitter at Ryan McQuaid seven, seven for as long as that site decides to stay open. Um, and the same handle, uh, on Instagram and letterbox. And thank you so much Christine, for having you. me on. We'll do this again. I'll yes. call on you. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.